0: So, good morning. Hopefully you've seen the screen and you are in the right place, which is Engaging the Bible, a how-to for yourself and others. So, we're going to be going through some fun material this morning. At least I hope it's fun. It's fun for me. It was fun putting this together. So, hopefully you feel the same way. Um, Let me introduce myself a little bit because I don't know a lot of you in the room. And I don't like sitting out there when I know nothing about the person up here. I'm like, who are you and why do you why do you feel like you can talk to us this morning? So let me just tell you a little bit about myself. I, my name is Andrea Gibbs. I am, first and foremost, the mom of four kids. And this was family. My, my oldest son got married last year, so that's you know the official family picture, which is. Can everybody see, by the way? Can everybody see? Good. No. Do we need it turned a little bit, or is it good? So anyway, I wanted to show you this beautiful family photo because I'm really going to show you this is really what our family looks like. (laughs) That's Christmas Eve and that's, this is a little more accurate. Dogs and crazy people and in-laws and outlaws and all that stuff. Um, My other job besides this is I am the director of the internship program here at Kensington. So yeah, Cassie's an intern, Nathan was an intern last year, Bree's an intern. Um, So this is, this is. As my youngest daughter refers to, these are my fake kids, she calls them, the interns. So that's some of the interns this year when we were on a retreat a couple weeks ago, and my attempt at a selfie. You're welcome. Um, so that, that's me. I am passionate about Bible stuff. So I get pegged a lot to teach these kind of classes here because I just have a, a huge heart for making sure that people understand the Bible. Um, not even the specific little details of the Bible, but more like the overarching picture of the Bible, because I think that's so helpful, especially, and you're here today because you want to know, how do I engage the Bible with other people, and then how do I engage it with myself? So let's talk about some of the big picture ideas of the Bible this morning. That's what we're gonna do. Hopefully that's why you're here. If not, just smile and nod anyway, so I don't feel awkward. So we'll do that. Um, And I have, this is the first time I've taught this class, like we've put this one together. So um, I got super excited and got a ton of information together and I have a lot to cover in our 50 minutes. So hopefully we get through it all, we will. I'm just saying buckle up, that's all. I'm just saying here we go, it's gonna be good. Um, Because I love this stuff. So here's where we're headed. Let me tell you where we're headed this morning. First things first, my little title. We're gonna talk about, since we're engaging the Bible, wanting to engage the Bible with people and ourselves we need to talk about what is the Bible what what it so first we're gonna talk about what the Bible is not and then we're gonna talk about what the Bible is and I want to tell you too. some of this stuff may be old news for some of you Um, I'm looking out and I see some faces that I know you've been around forever Um, this may be really old news for you but I want you to look and think through what we're gonna talk about this morning through the lens of how, making sure that you're engaging well with others with this information, okay? So if this is review for you, think of it that way. How am I using this with the people around me? So that's, that's what we're First things first, we're going to talk about what the Bible is not and then what it is. And then we're going to move into a section where we talk about how do I engage the Bible with others. So we'll do that because that's kind of why you're here. And then how do I engage the Bible for myself? So that's where we're headed this morning. Sound good? Awesome. Great. So let's just jump in. We're going to start the stuff that we're going to cover first is really big and broad. And then by the end of our time this morning, we're going to be super focused and practical boots on the ground stuff. So big to little is where we're headed. So first things first, let's talk about what the Bible is not this morning. What the Bible is not. Because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Actually, my husband Greg and I have been spending a lot of time the past I don't know, a couple of years, kind of processing. We grew up in a tradition that was very strict on. Here's what the Bible is, and you don't. Everybody understands it, and there's there's no way around that. It's just what it is. Speaking of my husband Greg, I'll probably say, Hey Greg, what do you think of? You know what? I don't need those anymore. I got Ryan to print stuff for me. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we couldn't get the printers to work, so your uh, outline. I'm like. Texting Greg at home. Print this and bring yeah, it to me. Yeah, I just put up a family Christmas. Sorry, <laughs> everyone has now seen you in your pajamas, Greg. Sorry yes. about that. So You're what? For life. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're scarred for life seeing you in your pajamas. Okay, so what the Bible is not. I was telling you, we grew up in a tradition where things were very, very strict and stringent. And lately, we've been kind of sitting down and going, um, "Hey, what what is the Bible?" and how can we think outside the lines and oh my gosh there's people that think a little differently than we do about things and what do we believe so a lot of what I'm going to sh- say to you right now you may disagree with me and that is a-okay that's kind of um, the whole point to be honest so if you disagree with me keep it to yourself no I'm kidding You can. You, I don't even mind if you raise your hand and say I'm, I don't agree with that and I'll say okay fine but my next point is this so but we're just that's okay so just bear with me in this stuff and know that I'm on a journey with this, so I'm taking you with me this morning. So, what the Bible is not. The Bible is not a science textbook. Is that shocking to anybody? Because that, that, I was kind of raised that it was, to be honest with you. The Bible is not a, a science textbook. So what I want to do is put these phrases up there, what it is not, and then I want to talk about um, why does that matter? Why does it matter that the science isn't a textbook or more importantly um, why does it matter when you're engaging the Bible with people why does that matter so here's why it matters that the science is not a text or it's not a science textbook because we lose credibility with people when we say that the Bible is a science textbook um, because that's not what it's meant to be And we're gonna get to a little we'll get to a little bit down the road what's, what it's meant to be but it's a category hop to say here's the Bible it's a science textbook when that's not what it meant to be. Um, people can write you off, because how many people have you heard get hung up on things like, um, so Jonah, some guy was inside the belly of a whale for three days? How did that work? Why didn't he digest? What's the, you know, all of these questions that people have, is because that story wasn't meant to be a scientific story. It's not a science t- textbook. OK, what else is the Bible not? It is not an instruction manual. That one that one gets me too. Why does it matter? Why does this matter when you're engaging with the Bible, that it's not an instruction manual? Because people will get disillusioned and confused, possibly hurt, and again, write you off. Um, for instance, how many of you grew up hearing the verse, um, or maybe not grew up, you've heard it later in life, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right? How many people do you know trained up their child in the way they should go, and when they were old, they departed from it? And they're left going, what do I do with this Bible now? Because it's an instruction manual for my life, and this didn't work. Well, you know why? Because it's not an instruction manual. That's not the intent. And again, we're going to get to what the Bible is in a minute. It's not an instruction manual. Um, here's another example. Um, people can take things out of context if you think it's an instruction manual. For instance, um, Paul talks about women wearing head coverings, right? Have you read those passages? Um, what do we do with that? I'm looking around. None of us have head coverings for the men. Few men. None of us women have head coverings on because it's, that passage was not meant to be exactly a um, one for one instruction for our lives today. Uh, I was asking a friend, w- What do you hear when, when if I said to you that the Bible was an instruction manual? How does that strike you? And her answer was, That makes it sound like the Bible is a judgmental list of rules, um, opposed to, as opposed to the story of love that it's really supposed to be. So it's not an instruction manual. The Bible is not. Written to people in the twenty-first century, right? What was it? Does anybody know? When was the Bible written? A long, a long, period, a long of period of time. That's right. And we're—I'm actually—we'll get to that in a second. But it was not written yesterday or even in this century. Um, the Bible was written for us. That's true. But it was not written to us. It was written to a specific group of people. Different parts of it and specific parts of time. What we're doing when we have the Bible is we're peering into a time in history, a specific time when that passage was written so that we can know what the heart of God was at that time in history. And then we can extrapolate that from that. But it's not written to us today. Um, for instance, here's here's one, the head covering thing again. Um, if we were taking. If it were written to us today then all of us women would have our head covers right we'd have our heads covered up but here's the thing this is interesting i just heard learn this from steve and paula andrews when they were on a trip to the middle east recently they learned that in that era when that when paul wrote that command for women to cover their heads it was written in a time when the early church had um all kinds of people joining the early church and in those days Temple prostitute, that was a big thing. There each, each town would have a temple, and they would have prostitutes in the temple, and that was part of the worship. And to be identified as a temple prostitute, you shaved your head. So then, if you came to Jesus and joined the way and were, and were part of a church, you're sitting in church, your head shaved, everybody's judging you. Oh, that's one of those temple prostitutes. So what Paul said was, hey, women, why don't you all cover your heads? And nobody knows who the temple prostitutes were. So what, what does that passage do? Now in that light, oh my gosh, instead of, oh, women should have their head covered, it's, no, let's make sure that everybody's equal and on equal playing field. Whole different, con- when you know the context, completely different meaning for that passage. So it wasn't written to us in the 21st century. And you have to understand that. It is not God himself. This one makes me nervous to put up there because this one touches me the closest in the way that I grew up. Um, God exists outside of the Bible, right? The Bible didn't invent God. God wrote the Bible. Um, But sometimes we tend to worship the Bible instead of God. We get things out of order. So um, the Bible's not God himself. We have to be careful to keep, to keep it where it is, which is, um, I, I've heard Andy Stanley say, Christianity birthed the Bible. The Bible did not birth Christianity, right? So we just have to make sure that we don't get the Bible up so high that, we, that we're like putting it above God and not the other way around. So the Bible's not God himself. Okay, so what is the Bible? What the Bible is, the Bible is, and this one's like a duh, but it has to be up there, (laughs) the central defining document of Christianity. It's, that needs to be said, it's part of God's revelation of himself to humans. So there's two kinds of revelation that God, ways that God reveals himself or makes himself known to humans. One we call um, general revelation, which is nature and, you know, you can go outside and go, man, some, something, something did this, something made all this. That's called general revelation. Your heart kind of understands that there's, there's more to life than just, than just what we see. We kind of all get that. Um, and then there is a thing called specific revelation, um, and that is the Bible and Jesus actually, him as a person walking on the earth is also specific revelation, but the Bible is the way that God reveals himself to us. So it's our central defining document. Um, Why does this matter when we're engaging with people? Because it's our standard and grid for how we view the world. Um, And interesting to note too that all, all splits and denominations are over basically the interpretation of this. So it's definitely our central document because every denomination out there has come from this central document and we all just disagree on how we interpret different parts of it and that's why we all we've got all these different types of churches, but it is our central document. So what else is the Bible? It is an extraordinary supernatural work of literature. And probably most of you in this room know the word that kind of goes with that is that it is inspired. So the Bible is the words of God to us. Um, The word inspired means breathed or or to blow into. So what God did was he took these authors and he gave them the thoughts that he wanted down on paper without um, changing their personalities and their writing styles. So you'll see all different kinds of writing styles. And Paul wrote like Paul and Moses wrote like Moses because (laughs) The Holy Spirit didn't turn them into little robots that wrote words, but he breathed into them the thoughts that he wanted down on paper using their personalities. So it is um, supernatural and it's it's inspired. Why does this matter when you're engaging the Bible with people? Because it means we can trust what's written, right? And it means the writings have a purpose for us. They do have a purpose. And it also means that the Bible's authoritative. So what it says carries weight in our lives it we should we should find ourselves underneath what the scripture says Um, it matters because the fact that it's inspired means that it's god's resume about who he is we just talked about revelation so it it is um who he is that's how we know so that's that's what the bible is another one it's a collection of writings so the bible how many books are in the Bible? 66. 66. Good job. So here's an important thing is that, do you realize that a lot of the people that you will be dealing with, like if you're leading a small group or Bible study or whatever, people don't understand that. A lot of people think it's like war and peace. You know, It's just this one big novel. It's not. It is 66 books brought together by how many different authors? Anybody know? 40? Over how many years was it written? I think I heard it. 1500. Yep. So from about 1400 BC to 90 AD ish is is the span of the time that it took to write for these 40 different authors through those periods of history to write these 66 different books that we bring together into what we call now the Bible. Sorry, can you say that timeline again? Yeah, it's 1500 years. So it was about 1400 AD. 1400. Mhm. B.C. Sorry, you knew what I meant. You were yep. tracking with me. B.C. to about 90. 90 hmm yep. So Revelation was written by John in 90 A.D. That's the last one we've got. Um, and it was written in two different languages, kind of three. So we've got the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. There's some Aramaic sprinkled in there. It was written in the Middle East. So this is the book we're talking about. Why does that matter? Because people need to know that. People need to understand that when they're picking up a Bible. So make sure when you're, when you're teaching and engaging that, that that's, that's the overarching thing that people are understanding. Um, why else does it matter? It's, that matters because it's beautiful and extraordinary that it's still one coherent book. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, and it matters because it gives a book some credibility in the fact that it hasn't changed. The Bible hasn't, even though it's that extraordinary of a, of a piece of literature that's been brought together, it's still the same book from when it was first written, which is the individual parts. It's, that could be a whole class in itself, which we've done here. But um, that's why it matters, that it's a collection of writings. What else is the Bible? It is many different genres of literature. This one is the most interesting to me, to be honest with you, because I think this one, for me, I didn't grow up, wrapping my mind around. The fact that here's the different kinds of literature you have in the Bible. You've got poetry. You've got apocalyptic literature. You've got parables. You've got historical narrative. You've got wisdom literature, prophetic literature, persuasive writing. I, think, I don't even think that's an exhaustive list. So these are all the different genres of writing that those 40 different authors used through those 1,500 years when they were writing. So why do you think that would matter? Why, when you're engaging with the Bible, why is it important to know that it was written with many different genre styles? Nathan. Because I read poetry different than I read a textbook, or I right. read music differently than I read a sci-fi novel. Yep. And we know those because we pick up different books. Yep. But when you're flipping through one book, then it can be very different to interpret right. those. Right, to interpret. You're expecting different things from the different genres, right? Any other thoughts? Right. Yeah, that's the beautiful part too. I lo- I love that part of it that that some people are going to open up to God more through a poetry reading and some want, you know, they want the writings of Paul that are lists of things that here's how you act and do. Yeah. And some Steve. of them are parables and some of them are documented history. Right, and you need to know the difference, right? Yeah. And we all learn differently. Yes. Yes. Yep. Other people read poetry and don't get it. So Right. <laughs> are you agreeing you read poetry and you don't get it or do you No, I'm just seeing your friend over. Oh, okay. There. I thought you were like Wait. that's me. That's funny. <laughs> totally, totally. So that's that's just fascinating to me. That's why it's so important that you understand what genre are you reading in the particular place that you're reading or teaching from at that given time. Because if you're there are people out there that think that the book of Jonah is more poetic, and, and it's, it's more of a parable type story. So if it is, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to get in so much trouble up here today. It's OK. But my point is, don't go, to the, don't go to the death on something if you're not understanding what kind of genre of literature it is to begin with. So that's, that's super important. Um, and another cool thing about the different genres is it allows us to see different sides of God in, in light of different genres. There's a beautiful part of God that we see in the poetry. And there's a beautiful part of God that we see in the historical narrative and how he related to people. And so we get a, a better view of God through the different <laughs> genres too. So that's what the Bible is. What else? It's one overarching story. So all that being said, the fact that it was written 1,500 years, 40 authors, 66 different books, brought together into one volume, it still has supernaturally one storyline through the whole thing, which I want to tell you really quickly. Um, if If any of you have taken Bible Basics, you've seen this. And so I'm going to fly through this right now. But I feel like, again, as you engaging the Bible with the people around you and for yourself, You need to know what the overarching storyline to the Bible is, or else nothing is going to make sense. So here it is. Um, If this were the story of the Bible, this timeline represents the Bible itself. Down here we've got Genesis. I'm going to sit. And then down there we've got the book of Revelation. So there's our timeline of the Bible. What happens in Genesis? Creation. We've got the creation of the Mm -hmm. world what happens revelation new creation so yep so we've got creation and creation but the word I like to use is perfection so when God created the world in the beginning of the story everything was perfect it was 100 percent perfect most importantly our relationship with God was perfect so that's what we see at the beginning of the Bible but then what entered the picture to kinda exactly you guys know this story, it's just good to hear it again. Oh, wait, let me, I jumped ahead. At the end of the story, we know that everything is perfect again. So we've got the beginning and the end of the Bible, perfection with our relationship with God, and at the end, again, perfection of the earth and our relationship with God. But then sin entered the picture, broke that perfection. That's at the very beginning of the Bible, first book, first couple of chapters, the whole rest of the Bible is God bringing about a solution to the problem of sin. Perfection, sin, solution, so that we get back again to perfection. That's the story of the Bible right there. Perfection, sin, solution, perfection. And then, spoiler alert, the solution is? Thank you. What's the the answer, everyone. The solution is Jesus. And then we've got the Bible. Basically, it's broken into two sections. Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament points to the fact; it basically the whole Old Testament builds the case that we need a solution, and the and the whole um, New Testament explains what that solution is. That's the story of the Bible. So, if, you know, if you hopped on an elevator with somebody and you had thirty seconds before they got off on their floor, and they turned to you and said, "Hey, what's the Bible all about anyway?" You could say, "Well, it's a big old book full of." Tons of different books that are pulled together over a bunch of bunch of years. But basically it has one story, and it's that everything was perfect when God made us. Our relationship with him was perfect, but people sinned and screwed that up. So God spent time bringing about a solution to that problem. That solution is Jesus, and one day Jesus is coming back to make everything perfect again for the people who accept him as the solution. That's the story of the Bible. So it does have one Overarching story. So, what's um, why does that matter when you're engaging people? Why does it matter to know the story when you're engaging people? Um, because everything should be read through this lens. It's really helpful. If you're in a part of scripture that you're like, I do not understand this. What, why in the Old Testament in this passage I'm reading is God sounds so angry? Why? Well, first of all, understand what genre of literature you're writing, but then think to yourself, well, what's the overarching story? We're getting to the fact that God has a solution for the fact that there's all this messed up sin, He's, and, and people can't fix it themselves. So we're getting there. We're getting there. So that's, does that make sense? That it's important to know the story, the overarching story. Um, cool. Anybody have any questions so far? I feel like I'm going 900 miles an hour. So everybody breathe. Good. What time is it? I do not have my watch. 9.28. Oh, we're doing so good. Awesome. So on the handout that I gave you, at the very bottom, I wrote um, the one that's just the outline for you to write on. It says, please watch this series of videos. Um, The Bible Project. How many of you have, I should ask, who hasn't heard of The Bible Project? Just maybe a couple people. Okay, good. The Bible Project is uh, some guys that put together this amazing series of videos that explains what the Bible is, basically. And I gave you the link. Please copy that, paste it into your computer and watch those videos. They have an amazing... Um, series of videos that basically explain everything we just talked about. They tell you about all the different genres of literature of the Bible. They tell you how to read it. They tell you how to read something that's a narrative. How do you read something that's poetry? How do you? They're amazing, and they're short, and they're well done, so we don't have time to watch them in this, or else I would just have played all of those. So make sure that you watch those at home. If you take nothing else from this class, do that. Um, cool. All right, now we're moving on. That was big, broad stuff. Now we're bringing it in a little bit. How do I engage the Bible with others? Now that we know what the Bible is not, kind of what it is, okay, great. Now, how do we engage it with other people? Um, So, we did spend a little bit of time, some of that stuff that we just talked about was how to engage it with people, like make sure they know the big story, uh, understand genres, that kind of stuff. But here's something else that I just came across that I really, really think is helpful. When you're talking with people and engaging the Bible with them, a lot of times things come up in teaching or in a discussion that are controversial. And you are going to disagree with people, right? People in, that's why, again, I said it before, that's why we have so many different denominations of churches. And even people within the same church don't always agree on things. And Frank, so imagine how somebody outside of the church, they're not going to agree on things and and think that things are weird in the Bible and whatever. So when you come do something like that, how do you handle it with people? This is a really cool thing I found um, that will give you a, a, a framework. This is from, where's the church? I wrote it down. FaithBridge Church in Houston. This is on their website, and I, I just thought it was super help, helpful. So is it, whatever you're talking about, is it a hill that you should die on? Well, that depends. Is it a conviction, a persuasion? or an opinion. So this is just a framework, again, for you to hang some things in. Um, Whatever topic you're talking about, is it a conviction? Meaning, is it a core Christian belief that I've, that core Christians believe that these things are essential to Christianity? Those are hills you die on, right? Things like salvation, uh, the deity of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus, those core things that are of our faith. Those are things that you would a hill to die on. Or is the thing you're talking about, is it a persuasion? So you can tell we're going from really important to not important at all. So is it a persuasion, which is kind of the next level down. It's a belief about which I have persuasions, though recognizing many biblical Christians have drawn different conclusions, such as spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, um, the, baptism as as whatever, baptism, how do we do it um, women in ministry there's lots of different topics that some of you are like ooh but remember those things are persuasions they're not the core of Christianity beliefs they're, they're the next level down they're persuasion, so those are things that you know, maybe you want to argue with somebody but it's not a hill to die on um, and then we get down to even even less, which is opinions, and those are topics about which I would welcome an opinion, but I would not even bother arguing about um, things like what musical style is the best in church, or you know, which Bible translation is the best one. Just opinions. So I, I love how FaithBridge Church, actually on their website, they've got a little statement that says. Um, we, we're happy. To, I should have just put it up here because now I'm going to word it really goofy. But they're, they are happy to work with people that have the same convictions as them, and then persuasions and opinions. Sure, come on, we'll all be on the same team, and we'll just we'll just agree to disagree on some of that stuff, and it doesn't matter. So that's that's a good way. This I just felt like this is a really good way to engage the Bible with other people and keep your head in a good place while you're doing it. So that's. That's engaging with others. All right, let's move on. How do I engage the Bible for myself? So here's how we're going to get super practical today, um, because I told you we're going to start with thoughts and get down to some really boots on the ground practical stuff. That's this stuff right here. How do I engage the Bible for myself? Um, Let me get to that page in my notes. First, you want to get yourself a good study Bible. And again, a lot of you sitting here, I know you, you're you like, hello, I've been doing this for years. But just remember, the people around you don't know this stuff. So let me review it with you so it's fresh in your brain so when you're dealing with others, you can help them. Um, here is one of the first. I didn't bring my first First Study Bible I ever owned that I bought in college because it's falling apart. Um, but this is the second one I ever bought. Look, it's just like a paperback who cares like I can throw it in my car, it doesn't matter. So it doesn't have to be anything super duper fancy, but you want to get yourself a good study Bible. In fact, if you're um, working with people, these are about this paperback version usually runs about 20 bucks online. Sometimes it's worth investing in a couple of these that you have to give out to somebody. So I mean it's a good way to it's a good way to spend your money. If you want to get fancy, if you don't, like, a lot of you know this stuff, but this is the same exact Bible, just in a fancier version. So if you want to be really nice, you could buy people these, but um, that's a different investment. So get yourself a good study Bible. My very favorite is the Life Application Study Bible, this one, but there's a million of them out there. But just for for teaching sake, I'm going to use this one this morning. So. Here's what you want to know about a study Bible, and here's what you want people around you to know about a study Bible. When you open up a study Bible, let's say, for instance, we are going to go through the book of Matthew. So what I'm going to do is actually just talk you through what a a day in the life of Andrea Gibbs when I am sitting down and studying for a while by myself. Um, This is what I would do. I would sit. I would open I would decide what book of the Bible I'm going to study for a while. So say I've just finished some kind of a study, and now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go through the book of Matthew. It's a good, it's a good, it's the life of Jesus. This is a good place to tell people to start who are new to the scripture. So I'm going to go through Matthew. So I open it up, and what I see is, at the beginning of Matthew in my study Bible, is it tells me exactly what the book of Matthew is about. So study Bibles are super helpful. People don't know this stuff. You've got to teach them. That at the beginning, it tells you the purpose of the book, the author, all, all the stuff that you need to know so that you're getting the context. Remember, we want people having context when they're reading. And then it tells you, it gives you a summary of the Bible, um, usually gives you an outline. And then um, it gets to the Bible itself. There's always good maps. People love a good map to understand. Again, it's written in the Middle East. Where was it written? Here. Here's the spot that that things are happening in this book. And then people need to understand when you're looking at a study Bible, I always say everything above the dark line is actual scripture. Everything below the line is somebody's interpretation of the scripture. So when you're reading the actual scripture up there, just know that if you get stuck, down below, there's going to be somebody explaining it to you, so that's how I explain that to people when they're using a study Bible. Um, also, you wouldn't believe how how many people don't clearly understand that, like the chapters and the and the verse numbers were added. They're not like the inspired Word of God. That's stuff that people put in there so that we can find things easier. So, but explain to them what that what that means. I would like I usually will write John three sixteen down and say. John's the book the three is um, a chapter and then every, so everything before the um, colon his chapter everything after is verses and I show them how to how to do that just make sure people understand that so they can they're comfortable with it so you explain that or again I'm, I'm walking you through me studying so I would read all of read all about it I'm, I'm starting to read through Matthew what I do when I'm reading is the Bible's typically broken up into little headings, right? So I will read from heading to heading, like Jesus teaches about lust. Well, that's a good one. Jesus teaches about divorce. So I would just read like the, that little lust section and stop for the day. Because it's not about, people need to understand too, it's not about how much you read. It's not about you know cranking through it. It's about slowing down and enjoying it and taking the time to really soak it in. So I would read a section and then Here's what I do. Um, I've given you a handout, and it's called SOAP. So the one that says SOAP at the top looks like this. This is a really great way to study the Bible for yourself, also to teach others to study it. Um, You use this format. It's a format to study scripture so you don't just read it, but you understand it and kind of take the time to see what's going on. So SOAP is an acronym, duh. The S stands for scripture, so you read the passage, and then what, what verse stands out to you as you're reading your little section of for the day? The O is observation. What did you observe about that passage? Like what's, what's going on in that passage? The A is application, so how do you take that passage and apply it to your life? And the P is prayer, which really should be kind of at the beginning and the end, kind of going through it. So then let's say, for instance, let me just walk you through what I would do. Say, for instance, I am on, I've been reading through Matthew, I'm on Matthew chapter 5 for the day, and I'm at the section of um, Jesus teaches about loving enemies, verse 43. So I read, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. I just read that passage for the day, and I sit down, and I'm going to go through this SOAP method. Um, first of all, I would not have this page. I'd probably have a journal sitting out, and I'd be writing all this stuff down in a journal. But just for, for teaching purposes, I'd, I, this is what I would do. I would say, OK, S, scripture, what part of this is sticking out to me today? So I actually did this, and I wrote stuff down for you. So what's sticking out to me today? Um, I wrote. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's That verse stood out to me for some reason. He gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. Love that. Observation. Who did what where? I'm thinking, okay, I know because I've been reading through Matthew, right? I've been reading a little section every day, and I read all that stuff at the beginning. I know that where I am in the passage, because I'm taking this in context, I know that this is Jesus talking. I know that He's talking to a large crowd of Jews. He just gave his famous, what is now famous, it wasn't then, of course, his um, Beatitudes, you know. So he's, I've learned that he's in Capernaum. He's on a mountainside. He's teaching people. And it's a big, large crowd. So I write that down. Um, what does God want me to know about this passage? That's the next thing I ask myself. Um, and as I sit and kind of think about it, I think, to summarize that passage in my brain, he, he, he wants me to really act like a follower of Jesus. To really act like a follower of Jesus, I have to love people who are hard for me to love. And then I wrote down, it says at the end, this is how to be perfect. I'm like, huh. So I, I make a little mental note there, because that's interesting to me. This is how to be perfect. And then, then the next thing I ask myself, and this isn't actually um, on the soap thing, but I think this is a great question. I would add it to mine if I were you. What does this teach me about the heart heart of God? It teaches me that his love is for everybody. It is on there? Okay, good. (laughs) Good. I didn't think it was. That's one of my favorite questions. What does this teach me about the heart of God? That he's to love everybody. Okay. then back up for a second. Something really stood out to me, and this is what you want to watch for, is when you're studying, what sticks out? To me, that very last thing in this passage this is how to be perfect, be perfect as you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. I read that and I go, perfect? I can't be perfect. How do I be perfect? Because perfect to us in our modern day English means doing everything exactly right, right? That's what perfect means. But this is a little trick that I love so much. This is so fun to me. Um, I then, this is, so this This is study like 101. Now I'm going to give you studying 201. I then, when I am stuck on a word like that, I would be like, okay, so what does the word perfect actually mean? Because remember, the Bible was written in, the New Testament was written in Greek. So let's go back and look at that Greek word perfect and see what that means, because maybe it's different than what we think now. So let me show you. How many of you know about Blue Letter Bible? Not that many. Okay, good. Blue Letter Bible is an amazing site, and they have an even better app for the phone. So I'm going to show you on here just because I only have five minutes. Okay, good. Perfect. So because I can't get my phone to show up there, so we're going to show you the the actual computer version, which is is good, too. Um, Blueletterbible.org. When you go there, you guys are going to love this, you type in the passage that you're on. So here we are, we're looking at Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Make sure that you're looking at it in the NASB. Just trust me on that. I won't go into details as to why. It has to do with concordant stuff, but um, search that. It will pull up for you the passage that you put in. I'm interested in this verse, right? Um, Therefore you are perfect. I'm like, what does that word perfect mean? Click on t- the tools, if you hover over it, and then you hit this top one called interlinear. Sorry, we're flying, but you're going to love this. Um, it gives you what is called, it. basically it gives you the Greek word and then the definition for that Greek word of all the words in that verse. So I'm down here. I see this word perfect. I'm like, OK, perfect in Greek is actually this word. Who cares how it's pronounced, because I will never say it in my life. (laughs) So um, you click on this. This is called the Strong's reference. You don't need to know that. But you click on this. It pulls up for you everything about that word. So I skip all that stuff at the top. I scroll down. I skip the biblical usage. I want to hear what somebody's definitions are. So look, the word perfect in Greek means complete of full age. And then you go down here. What does this guy say it means? This guy says it means, um, where? Brought to its end, finished, lacking nothing necessary to completeness. Perfect. Look down here. Full grown, adult. How does that shed a different light on that verse? Right? So if the verse be, be perfect like God is perfect, let's put a different word in there. I'm seeing the word mature. Be mature, like God is mature. Oh, oh. So now I've read this passage and studied it, and it was telling me how to love people that are hard to love. Love your enemies. That's how you be mature. It's like, oh my gosh. I can do that. I can work on that. That's... So you see how sometimes when you're engaging the Bible for yourself, you got to dig a little bit. And This Blue Letter Bible tool, I love it. It's so good. So you can, it's just a couple of clicks. On your phone, it's even easier because it takes you straight to some of this stuff. You don't have all the extra clicks in there. Um, And then look, if you, I mean, if you really, you really want to see, I lost my verse. Oh, so this, as you keep scrolling down, it shows you everywhere else in the Bible or in the New Testament in this case, where that same word is used. That same Greek word, like look here in the first Corinthians, it was, that same Greek word was um, uh, translated as mature and not perfect. So it's like, oh, well, okay, good. So that's kind of interesting to look at too. You can also do things like um, check, uh, I'm so much more used to the app, this is throwing me off, but you can check uh, dictionary definitions, which are super helpful too. I can't find it now, it doesn't matter. So, please use that tool. Use, because it's just really, really helpful. All right. So, where does that leave us today? We talked about, ap- oh, yeah, application. If you're going back to the practice soap thing, then I would go to the application. Sorry, I'm not going to take you back there. And I would say, how does this apply to my life or circumstance? Now that I know all of that, that I've studied, and for me, I just wrote down, I need to stop avoiding, and I put a name there, and I crossed it out, because none of you need to know. <laughs> I need to stop avoiding, I need to look him in the eye, I need to really love him, like somebody that bothers me. This was like my personal <laughs> application part. And then pray. Sit and write down a prayer. Pray just how, however you want to do that. So that that's it. All right, so engaging the Bible. We talked a lot. I'm sorry about all of the information I gave you today. We went from... Lots, too, very practical, but you got the, what the Bible is not, what it is, and how you can help people with that, how to engage it with others, gave you a little bit of framework on, on that kind of stuff, and then really practical stuff, how do I sit down and, and actually study this thing. So hopefully this was helpful. Let me pray and send you on out of here. All right, Jesus, thanks for this group that was willing to come in and really dive into what it means to look at your word and engage it with themselves, engage it with other people. Jesus, I pray that just whatever whatever you need to stick in their minds today would stick. Just um, bless these people. Send them out of here and give them a, a great day. I pray that they feel your love in your name. Amen. amen. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, have a, have a great next session.